G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jesus taught very simply and clearly, love your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you, pray for your enemies. Hello, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines and his message, Christianity and Islam. Today we'll hear some sobering statistics from Pastor Jeff about a religion that, in its extreme form, is the world's most powerful system for persecuting Christians. But when someone in the Muslim world picks up a sword to slay someone, he does it in direct obedience to his master and lord, Muhammad. And that is the major difference. This is Today with Jeff Fines. Guys, we've got to get into this. Revelation chapter 13, got a lot of information, rapid fire. I hope you're ready. We're in our series on the book of Revelation. Before I get into that, a couple things. Uh, we're going to approach this through the back door. That means we're going to build some foundation first before we tackle Revelation 13. So I need your undivided attention. Stay with me through the entire journey and... At the end of the day, it will all come out as if the funnel, it'll be clear, you'll know what we're doing, and you'll say, okay, now I got it. Second thing is, I just want to tell you, I'm coming off a very difficult couple of days, uh, and it's bittersweet. Uh, my son was married on Friday out at Etiwanda Gardens, uh, so I have lost my first child, so to speak. You know, you gain a daughter-in-law, but you know, I went last night uh, after the second service and I took them to LAX, got home about 11 o'clock and sent them on their honeymoon to New Zealand. Beautiful thing is, you know, Delaney grew up there, so he wanted his wife to see where he grew up in his childhood home. Uh, we had a great time taking pictures with all the family. And of course, Milo, the dog was there and he took photos with Sion. It was fantastic. And so... It was a beautiful day, and then that's when everything started to go south. Uh, we woke up on Saturday morning, and Milo died. Uh, I think I shared with a lot of you that Milo uh, was diagnosed of having a tumor, and we thought it would be a lot longer, but he didn't last very long. But he did a little bit of grace here. God gave him the wherewithal and the strength to celebrate in the wedding. He was in all the wedding pictures. Amazing, isn't it? And then he died the next morning. So I had to go into my daughter's room, who incidentally left yesterday as well for Thailand, because she's convinced that's where the Lord wants her. So for three months in Thailand, she's learning the Thai language at the university there. And so think about what happened. Had a great wedding. Uh, tears came to my eyes. My son pulls away. My daughter, dog, dies the next morning. And then she gets on a plane and goes to Thailand. So I've got an empty house. And then it's just everything. I thought to myself... If I had a truck and it broke down, I'd have the makings of a good country song. <laughs> my daughter left, my son left, my dog died, and my truck broke down. I'd be a wealthy man. <laughs> At the same time, you know, it's bittersweet. There's a lot of things that I'm happy about, and I'm rejoicing. It's all good. And I know that my citizenship is in heaven. It is not here. And Elizabeth Elliot, I remember, said that God is forever wooing us up and away from this place into the next. So... I know there's, there's so many good things in life and there's a lot of things in life that are unfortunate, but as they come together, we're supposed to be reminded that this world is not all there is. Well, folks, what I'm going to say, I want you to please, and please 
Give me the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes I'll do a message like this and I'll see a couple of people walk out because they're angry because they don't give me a chance to finish. And you've got to give me a chance to finish before you make any judgment call. I've got a very difficult message and I want to say, first of all, that I couch everything in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 that we've said before. But in your hearts, Paul says, revere Christ as Lord. Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you do have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Interesting. So how do we treat others with gentleness and respect? On every campus, can we say that? How do we treat others with gentleness and respect? With people who hate us, how do we treat them? With gentleness and respect. People who disagree with us, how do we treat them? Gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now I want to couch everything I say from this point on with that passage. I will be aggressive and I will be clear. I'm trying to state the facts, but in no way do I mean to be angry toward anyone. In fact, I want to say from the get go, I have many friends that are in Islam that I have constant dialogue with. We are friends. We sit around coffee and we talk about things and they know my position. And I want to share historically with you and then move on to a little bit of understanding. First of all, it all really begins with a man by the name of Muhammad. In Arabic, his name means highly praised. He was born in 570 AD in a caravan town of Mecca, now Saudi Arabia. Muhammad was a caravan driver. And his caravan trips would take him up into Syria where he started having relationships with the Christians and the Jews. He really liked them. In fact, the Christians had a great influence and impact on Muhammad. From the age of 14 to the age of 25, he continued these caravan trips. There was one major area of influence that historically is undeniable. Muhammad was impressed with the one God idea of the Christians and the Jews. When Muhammad was introduced to the Christians and the Jews, in Islam or among the Arabs, there were 360 gods. But the Christians and the Jews had one God. Muhammad looked at the unifying among the diversity of the Jewish people and the Christians. And he lived in a time where the Jews had their identifying mark and the Christians had their identity. But the Arabs were struggling to have some kind of an identifying mark, something that would bring them together, would unify the people. Muhammad on these caravan trips started to realize that the thing that is missing is a unifying religion that would bring his people together. And so he decided that he was going to come back and began to teach that there are no longer 360 gods in Islam or in the Arabian world. There is now one God, but he had to find a name for the one God. And the name for the one God happened to be the name of the God of his tribe, the Karish tribe. And the name of the God in the Karish tribe was Allah. Allah was the moon God. That's why still today in Islam, you will see a crescent moon as part of the sign and symbol. Now, here's what Muhammad did. Right now, I'm just repeating history. This is not anything new, not anything really that volatile or debatable. It is what it is. Muhammad took the various elements from idol worship in his own culture, pieced them together, and formed a unifying religion. He made one major significant change that he had learned from the Jews and the Christians, We're now going to have one God. His name is Allah, the God of the Karish tribe, my tribe, the God of the particular tribe, the moon God. 
Muhammad had a problem. How am I going to convince my people, he thought to himself, that I am legitimate, that I've heard from words from God. So he claimed to start receiving revelations in 610 AD. And it was said that Gabriel, the archangel, would come down and put him into these kind of epileptic seizure-like trances where he would foam at the mouth. And these are not the words of historians. These are his own words and the words of those who followed him. And he was supposedly visited by Gabriel who came down and tore open Muhammad's chest pulled out his heart, cleansed it and purified it and put it back in. And at that point, he started having these violent seizures where there'd be uncontrollable shaking. Again, according to his own eyewitness accounts and his own accounts. Khadijah, Muhammad's first wife, became his first convert. She convinced him that these trances and experiences he was having were the gods or Allah's attempt to communicate revelation, new revelation to him for the people of Islam and for the Arabs. Ali, his cousin, became a second convert, and he started what we call the Shiites. Uh, he will become the successor to Muhammad, and he will form the partisan group of Ali, which is what Shiites mean, and they're in Iraq and Iran. The words that Muhammad received during these revelations, first of all, he wasn't convinced they were from Allah, but his wife convinced him, so they were passed down orally at first, and then his followers, his little group of followers, and he himself started to write these things down, and they were recorded in what we know today as the Quran. Now, the original Quran is said not to exist on earth, but it is in heaven with God, kept safe. It is advanced Arabic, the language that Allah speaks, it is included uh, 114 chapters called surahs or sukhras. What's interesting about this is in my friendly debates in New Zealand with my Muslim friends and a few Islamic scholars, my response has been, well, if the Quran is in heaven, I'm not able to test it. Their response is, well, even if it wasn't in heaven, you would not be able to test it because you can only understand the miraculous nature of the Quran if you are fluent in advanced Arabic. Remember, Islam claims that Muhammad did no miracles of any kind. The only necessary and essential miracle is the Quran itself, delivered from God to Allah, but it's kept safe in heaven. It's important to note, at first, Muhammad wanted to embrace the Christians. He accepted them. They accepted him at first. And in many ways, he respected them. The problem is that when Muhammad tried to convince his own people that he was a prophet, they rejected him, and he used as his proof, he said, if you don't believe me, ask the Christians and Jews, they'll tell you. When his own people asked the Christians and Jews, the Christians and Jews said, this guy's loony. He's an idolater. And soon, they believed that Muhammad would start some kind of anti-Christian, anti-Christ cult. This made Muhammad very angry, especially when the Christians verbally denounced Allah, the moon god, and called Muhammad an idolater, worshiping idols. Now, at that point, everything changed. Allah, Muhammad, and his worship of Allah, Muhammad became very angry with the Christians and suddenly declared that Allah had cursed them all. And then he declared it was the duty of every Muslim in the Arab world to subjugate the whole world to Allah, if need be, by holy war. Now, just hold on a second. Hear me out. I am not suggesting for a moment that everybody who follows the religion Islam is militant. That's ridiculous. I've had plenty of friends who follow Islam and read the Quran who are not militant. However, Muhammad himself, historically speaking, folks, was extremely violent. And brought about a sense of brutality that the world had not seen, even in the Crusades. 
He, in fact, was incredibly deadly. And for 10 years, from 622 to 632, he led 65. He was the leader himself of 65 very violent campaigns. So that by 630, he successfully conquered Mecca. And so you have this religion progressing through violence, saturates the Arabian desert. And at that point, historically speaking, Muhammad begins having visions to conquer the world for the sake of Allah. Now let's pause here for a moment. This is Today with Jeff Vines and the message, Christianity and Islam. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. After 9-1-1, there was one Islamic leader that said this, these radicals have literally hijacked the entire religion for their own ends. Now, the assumption is there, hear me out, that Islam is not a militant religion at its core, but fundamentalists have hijacked it and used the words of the Quran to make it militant. The problem is, for not only me and pastors all over the world, and for governments all over the world, is that justification for violence is inherent in the Quran. Because Muhammad taught that we must make people convert whatever means necessary. In Surah, chapter 5, verse 56 of the Quran, O believers, take not the Jews or Christians as friends. They are but one another's friends. If any of you or one of you taketh them for his friends, he is surely one of them. God will not guide the evildoer. And then in Surah 9, 5, but when the forbidden months are passed, then fight and slay the pagans. These are the Christians and the Jews. Wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them and lie in wait for them in every stratagem of war. In fact, militant Islam uses the last words of Muhammad as a proof text for the reason they can be violent. When he said, oh Lord, perish the Jews and the Christians, kill them. Beware, there should be no two faiths in Arabia. Now, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail and I want to stay with the theme at hand, but I want you to hear me on this. Look, let me say again. Isn't it true that we Christians are supposed to love all people? Yes. Do I love all people? Yes, and so should you. And if you don't, you've got a problem. If you're a Christ follower, you love all people. But it doesn't mean that you put your head 40 feet into the sand and deny what's going on around you. Somebody will ask me, Pastor Jeff, do you think Islam is a militant religion? And my answer is always the same, yes and no. There are plenty of people who follow the Quran and Islam who are not violent. So no, if you're talking about Al-Qaeda and ISIS, then the answer is yes. These are organizations that commit dastardly deeds that are straight from the pit of the dragon. So yes, but on the same vein, if you ask me, is Christianity a militant religion? I'm going to say yes and no. In the sense that there are a gazillion Christians that have never picked up the sword or would pick up the sword to commit violence. It is not a militant religion. But in regards to the Crusades and the Inquisition, it is a violent religion. There have been many people who have said in the name of God that we're going to conquer the world by violence. And just because you say it's in the name of God or Christ doesn't mean you are of Christ or are of God. But there is a major difference that seldom do we hear or talk about. And the major difference is this. There is no doubt. Yes, we have our eschatological conversations and how to translate and interpret Daniel 9 and Revelation. But there's a core in Christianity that Christians will adhere and accept, regardless if we don't agree on everything. Jesus taught very simply and clearly, love your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you. 
Pray for your enemies. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But folks, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, therefore I exert, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. This is the Bible. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. These are the words of Jesus and his disciples. But friends, don't stick your head in the sand. These are not the words of Muhammad as written in the Quran. In Surah chapter 9 verse 5, But when the forbidden months are past, then fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them at every stratagem of war. There is a huge difference between Muhammad and Jesus. Huge. And it's this, and we forget. When a Christ follower picks up a sword to slay someone, he does so in direct disobedience to his master and teacher, Jesus Christ. But when someone in the Muslim world picks up a sword to slay someone, he does it in direct obedience to his master and Lord, Muhammad. And that is the major difference. Before you get angry with me, remember that Islam today is currently the most powerful system on earth for the persecution of Christians. Thousands are dying at the hand of Islam. Every day, Indonesia, Iraq, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, India, South Sudan, slavery, crucifixion, rape, home invasion, and destruction. And in many cases, there are news reports where the police in Islamic states either stand by or actually help in the prosecution and persecution. In Islamic countries today, a centuries-old edict brought about by the Pact of Omar, the second successor to Muhammad, still today, in our modern-day world, prohibits the building of a church building within a thousand meters of a mosque. If indeed it can be built, because in most Islamic states, you cannot build a church. In fact, not only can you not build a church, you can't repair an old one. It is actually against the law. You can be imprisoned. I know this is a mild form of persecution, but more harsh forms exist too. In Algeria, over the last 10, 15 years, between 60 and 80,000 people have been killed. Islamists are waging war. They want to turn and could turn and have turned Algeria into an Islamic state. Scores of women have been killed for being simply unveiled. And the fundamentalists vow to kill more because Christ followers, quite frankly, are primary and easy targets. Do you know that on February 22nd, 1998... The International Islamic Front for Jihad Against Christians and Jews, in association with extremist groups out of Egypt, Pakistan, Bangladesh, established an official edict. And here's what it stated. We, with God's help, call on every Muslim who believes in God and wishes to be rewarded to comply with God's order to kill the Americans and plunder their money wherever and whenever they find it. We call on the Muslim leaders, youths, and soldiers to launch a raid, Satan's U.S. troops, and raid them and the devil's supporters align with them and to displace those who are behind them so that they may learn a lesson. The ruling to kill the Americans and their allies, civilians and military is an individual duty for every Muslim, every Muslim who can do it in any country in which it is possible to do. Folks, I have people ask me these questions and make the statement. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. I have plenty of people in Islam who read the Quran who will tell you that there are some passages they are uncomfortable with that are not militant. I'm just trying to tell you that inherent in the words of Muhammad and the Quran is violence. And that's why you have so much of it. 
In fact, Suro chapter 3 verse 151 says, If you shall be slain or die on the path of Allah, then pardon from Allah and mercy is better than all your amassings. For if you die or be slain, verily unto Allah you shall be gathered. Stay with me. In Surah chapter 8 verse 14, O you who believe, when you meet those who disbelieve marching to war, then turn not your back to them. In other words, don't just kill warriors, kill civilians. And whoever shall turn his back on them on that day, then he indeed becomes deserving of Allah's wrath and his abode is in hell. Now, people wonder all the time, how is it that we can have young people all over the world leaving America, Europe, wherever, and going and signing up for militant Islam? There's something you need to understand about Islam, again, that's inherent. There is no promised or secured salvation within Islam as a religion. I've had many discussions with my Islamic friends in New Zealand, and I would say things like this. I'd say, why do you do good deeds? And they would say, because they're right to do. Why do you keep the five pillars of Islam, which I don't have time to go into. You can do that online. And they will say, because it's right to do it. Because what I want to hear from them is this. And this is where Christians mess this up. I've heard too many Christian pastors say that Islam is a works-oriented religion. Ah, That's only half true. Because an Islam or a Muslim will tell you that you cannot be saved by works. Well, then how are you saved? Totally and fully by the will of Allah. You could do all the good works your entire life, but at the end of the day, you cannot convince. You cannot sway Allah. It is the will of Allah. Whatever happens is the will of Allah. You can do good things, and down deep inside, I think there's a hope that they'll be accredited to the account. But inherent in Islam is no security, no guarantee of salvation. Allah will do what Allah wants to do. He is an impersonal God. He is not like the God Jehovah or Yahweh. He is not a personal God. He is impersonal God. There's not personality. There's just power. Now, Couple that together with this. There is one way to guarantee your entrance into heaven with Allah. Suicide bomber. A martyr. As a matter of fact, they tell you that when you arrive in heaven, you will be welcomed by 72 black-eyed virgins with whom they will have eternal sexual relations. And the claim is that the Quran describes these women in heaven as beautiful like rubies with complexions like diamonds and pearls. Then martyrs, the martyrs then will delight themselves lying on green cushions and beautiful carpets. Now, I don't, I don't want any applause here and I'm not trying to be funny. It's just logical to me. First thing is, how is this attractive to women? And the second thing is, at what point do you run out of 72 virgins? I mean, what are they just like eternally provided by Allah? The thing that really bothers me is that my brothers and sisters overseas who are dying at the hands of Islam. But it's not only my brothers and sisters I'm concerned about. It's anybody who believes in another religion other than Islam. Some of the most dastardly deeds in Islam are committed against their own people. As well as Christians. Sheikh Abd al-Salam, who's the chief Palestinian was of the authority police. He describes what a suicide bomber who kills a person can expect in the afterlife. And I quote, from the moment his first drop of blood spills, he feels no pain. He's absolved of all his sins. He sees his seed in heaven. He has spared the tortures of the grave. He has spared the horrors of the day of judgment. He is married to 70 black-eyed women. He can vouch for 70 of his family members to enter paradise. Now, do you know why it would appeal to a young man or young woman who has no prospect in this life, who's come to the end of their rope, who believes this world has nothing to offer them. 
Do you know how appealing that is to know that if I go and blow myself up and kill a bunch of people around me, I secure my relationship with 70 black-eyed women and the relationships of my family members up to 70 people. I'm concerned by this stuff that flows out of the extremists within the Islamic community. Let me say again, because every time I preach a sermon like this, I guarantee somebody from the media is in this room. Okay? Hear me again. Not every person who follows Islam is violent. That's ridiculous. In the same way, not everyone who follows Christ is nonviolent. However, when a Christ follower picks up the sword to slay, he does so in direct disobedience to Jesus. But when someone who follows religiously the Quran and Islam, and just like there are many nominal Christians, there are many nominal Muslims. But the reason so many pick up the sword is because inherent in the Quran is the idea of taking and conquering the world for Allah and smiting the Jews, the Christians, the evildoers, the pagans. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through his message, Christianity and Islam. I hope you can join us next time for more on this challenging topic. To hear more now, you can head to our website, vision.org.au, and search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.